Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. Welcome back to Digital Health Today, the place to be to get the insights of leaders making the healthcare of tomorrow available today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall, and we're running down the final episodes of Season 8. This is Episode 78, which means you can find links to everything we discuss at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 78. We often think about redesigning healthcare for the people that currently access it the most. And we know that as people grow older, their demands on the healthcare system increase. After all, the healthcare system is, by its very nature, designed to address the needs of those people with chronic or acute conditions which often develop in later years. So by focusing our attention on redesigning healthcare for those current generations of adults who place the highest demands on it today, are we overlooking the needs of younger generations of adults and future generations who don't yet have similar demands of the system? And from a generational perspective, is the solution that improves the access to and delivery of care for a person in the baby boomer generation going to be perceived as delivering similar benefits by a millennial or someone in Generation Z. I had the opportunity to meet the guests on this episode at a conference in Geneva where we were both speakers. After hearing her talk and learning more about the most recent generation of adults, Generation Z, it led me to ask the question, how do the experiences of different generations of people shape and inform their attitudes, expectations, and perceptions of healthcare today and in the future? In this episode, we're going to explore these issues with an expert in her field. With me today is Dr. Eliza Philby. She's a historian, author, and consultant who understands the differences in values and behaviors across different generations. She's currently writing a book called Our Place in Time, and she works with companies to address multi-generational challenges such as recruiting Gen Z employees, retaining millennial talent, and dealing with a multi-generational client or employee base. We dive into how people in Generation Z have an entirely different view and perception on data, automation, and the value they place on personal and human interactions. We explore the impact that these differences may have on their demands and expectations of healthcare solutions and experiences. You can grab the show notes to this episode by visiting digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 78. And while you're there, please remember to subscribe to and rate the podcast. Now, without further ado, let's tune into the conversation with Dr. Eliza Philby. Eliza, thanks for joining me. Welcome to the program. Absolute pleasure. Lovely to be here. Eliza, I've given the listeners a little bit of background about your role and your experience, but let's break that down on a day-to-day level. What is it exactly that you do as a historian and researcher? So on a day-to-day basis, I am writing a book, which is a history of generations called Our Place in Time. And it's a global history of generations, starting really with the baby boomers right through not only to Generation Z, but the generation after them, Generation Alpha. So I spend a lot of my time, obviously, doing the research for that book. But that research helps me and informs me into a lot of the consultancy and um, speaking work that I do. And basically, I work with companies from legal firms through to beauty firms, through to health firms, all cross sectors and services, helping them really to understand the changing values and changing behaviors across the generations and really differentiate as a generations expert, what is age-specific behavior, i.e. what is something that someone or a group of people are doing in society because they're just young and that's at the stage at which they're at in life, and what is generation-specific behavior and values, i.e. what are the certain traits, the behaviors, the preferences that will not only exist now, but they will see them through their lifespan. 
Well, let's talk first of all about what the generations are. So let's get really down to the basics. We've heard a lot about baby boomers and their interaction with healthcare and the impact they've had on the world. So after the baby boomers are the Generation X, which I'm a part of, that was from 1965 to 1979. What are the time periods for the millennials or what's sometimes called Generation Y and this Generation Z that we're going to talk about today? When were they born? So, I mean, all of these date ranges are slightly arbitrary and and man-made and not fixed, but certainly the kind of consensus is that the millennials are 1980 through to 1996, and Gen Z starts in 1997 through to 2010. And then people are starting to talk about the post-Gen Z generation, which is, as I said, we've gone from Gen Z through to right to the start of the alphabet now to Generation Alpha. And those are babies, invariably children of millennials that are born after 2011 to the present day. Okay, Gen Alpha, I haven't heard of that one yet, but I guess we'll begin uh, to hear more about them as they grow in size and in age. So let's talk about Gen Z and some of their characteristics. I know they're also called iGen, uh, Millennials on Steroids, and also the Snapchat generation are just some of the other names for this group of adults and, and young people. What are some of the traits that characterize the people in that generation? I know we're talking broadly, so <laughs> nobody should be offended by what they're hearing here. Yeah, I mean, I think it's when you're talking about any generation, it's important to first contextualize them. So this is Gen Z, if we're to differentiate them importantly from the millennial demographic, this is the generation that can't remember MySpace, right? This is the generation that can't remember a time when there was not a black president in the United States. This is a generation who cannot remember the collapse of Lehman Brothers. This is a generation that predominantly cannot remember 9-11, um, and that whole experience of the war on terror, even though obviously it had huge ramifications for their childhood. So in many ways, millennials are often talked of as being the recession generation, but actually Gen Z are the ones that grew up under the shadow of the global recession, global financial crisis. They are the generation whose parents invariably said no. So if we were to differentiate between them and millennials, the immediate line of differentiation would be the point actually millennials grew up during the longest consumer boom in history, whereas Gen Z grew up in the deepest recession since the Second World War. So so that's the first point is to recognize the different contexts that they've grown up in. And that's very much conditioned their values. So in my view, there are four important characteristics and actually that differentiate them from millennials. And actually, they're more in tune with Gen Xers who are invariably their parents. And that's no surprise because obviously you've got that transference happening there. Great. Let's talk about those. What are those four characteristics? The first thing I would say is skepticism. They are skeptical about news. They're skeptical about the point and price of going to college or university. They're skeptical about politicians, any form of establishment. They're skeptical about institutions, even the future. When asked, you know, do they feel optimistic about the future? They are actually less optimistic than their millennial counterparts. So they are skeptical in a really interesting way, actually, towards technology. They know and have had deep exposure to some of the negative impacts of too much technology and certainly too much social media. So skepticism, I would say, for the Gen Z demographic is a really important trait. The second thing I would say is they are the DIY generation. So actually, growing up in a period of recession makes you more creative, makes you more resourceful. 
And you're seeing this with Gen Z. So Harvard Business Review did a did some data on this and they revealed that 77% of Gen Zs make their own pocket money. And what's interesting is how they're making that money. So they are not doing newspaper rounds or working in bars, say, like traditional young people did 20 years ago. No, they're making money. They're setting up businesses online. So the average Gen Zer had a mobile phone since the age of 13. And they are now using that by selling secondhand clothes, organizing events, doing artwork for album covers, you name it. They are incredibly entrepreneurial, incredibly savvy when it comes to using the internet for a creative and economic resource. So they're the DIY generation. The third characteristic is the notion of fluidity. So nothing's permanent for this generation. Interesting statistics prove that fewer of them are getting tattooed than millennials did at their age. And the reason why is tattoo is a permanent or semi-permanent fixture on their body. And so that kind of, I think, highlights the way in which this generation is incredibly fluid in how it thinks about gender, in how it thinks and will think about their careers, their identities, whether it be, as I say, gender or sexuality, or even their offline self as opposed to their online self. So I think what they're looking for in companies and in products and services are organizations that understand that fluid identity and that sense of there's nothing that's permanent. And for the fourth characteristic is they're incredibly serious. They kind of are generating the tag and the name Generation Sensible in the UK. And the facts that bore this out is that they are drinking less, they are smoking less, they are having less sex than young people did at different generations at their age. And so what's interesting is they are not indulging in the traditional kind of rites of passage and kind of deviant exploits of youth and adolescence that previous generations have done. But equally, of course, they have record numbers of mental health issues, depression, social anxiety, you name it. So they're, on the one hand, showing signs of incredible restraint, but equally, on the other hand, they are showing record numbers and levels of anxiety and depression. But when asked, and this was a really interesting study that happened in the UK, when asked, what was the most important thing to you? Every other generation thought that Gen Z would answer social media. What they actually answered was their family. So actually, this is a generation whose parents have spent more time with them than any other generation did, even going back to the 1950s. This is a generation that actually prizes family and familial connections very strongly. There's a lot that you just described that we should be very excited about. And a lot of things that you just talked about from a health perspective, which is obviously what we're focused on here on this program, uh, some really great things to be excited about. Drinking less, smoking less, they're not indulging as much. Are they also a broadly healthier group? Are they uh, less obese than the previous generation? Are they eating more healthy things and more organic things? Well, I mean, obviously it, it differs across different regions, but certainly record numbers of obesity, but equally record levels of knowledge about nutrition. So it's this strange thing that's happening <laughs> across society, I would say, is that people know more about health than ever and yet have never been so unhealthy in terms of what they're putting into their bodies. A really strange dichotomy there. I think one of the interesting things is one of the growing subgroups 
within Gen Z is vegans and the way in which they are now embracing veganism as a form of identity. So beyond just a health choice or a food choice, it becomes part of their identity because it's caught up in how they view the natural world and perhaps also related to climate change as part of their political identity and their personal identity rather than just their health. And I think that's quite an interesting development. But then, of course, as soon as you have a look at how this differentiates across the social classes and the various socioeconomic groups, you realise, of course, that still within the lower economic groups, you still have poor nutrition and higher levels of obesity and actually lower educational levels in respect to nutrition. I think what's interesting about Gen Z is that you're seeing two things which is impacting on their health. The first is their prioritizing of mental health over physical health and the sense that actually one leads to the other. So they're not joining gyms at the same rate that millennials did, for example, who obviously grew up in the whole kind of fitness craze of the 80s and 90s and that sort of obsession with body perfection. And the second thing, and that's obviously related, is this kind of understanding and acceptance of your body and all its imperfections. And you're seeing this in the changing marketing and advertising of beauty products, for example. Embrace your difference. Mm -hmm. Embrace your body. Embrace your naturalness. The acceptance that everyone has different bodies and the desire for body perfection actually has damaging ramifications for your mental health. And so there's this really interesting leveling and a backlash actually against that kind of airbrushed beauty and even, dare I say, that airbrushed life. All right, we're speaking with Dr. Eliza Philby, historian, author, and consultant about the differences between generations and specifically around Generation Z. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how these differences in perception affect their views of experiences in healthcare. We'll jump into that after a quick word from one of our terrific sponsors. Don't go away. We'll be right back. All right, we're back with more Digital Health Today. This is episode 78, and we're speaking with Dr. Eliza Philby about generational attitudes and differences. And specifically, we're getting into the perceptions of Generation Z and how their experiences are very different to those of other generations. Eliza, earlier in the program, you shared the four key characteristics that set Generation Z apart. Of course, we'll have those listed in the show notes for this program for anyone that wants to reference those. Unfortunately, people in Generation Z are experiencing high levels of mental health issues, Although I do wonder whether historical figures around mental health are really underreported. But as we know, it's a very significant concern, and I'm glad they're prioritizing it and finding ways to address it. Overall, however, I have to say that my impression is that you've given a really exciting introduction to this generation of people and the impact they're having on a personal and on a population level. But for companies, there's a downside is, is how do you access, how do you speak to them? Because on the one hand, this is the ad blocker generation who are very savvy and well-versed in traditional advertising techniques, are incredibly skeptical about being sold something. So there's that point. But also, this is a generation that are increasingly closing its ranks in terms of social media and the internet more generally. 
So as I said earlier on, they are skeptical about everything. And actually, most importantly, they're skeptical about technology and the use and misuse of their data. So, you know, over 50% of Gen Zs will say that they have had a condensed period or a sustained period or even left social media completely in the last 12 months. This is a generation that's leaving social media faster than any other generation and at a faster rate than any other generation because they know the downsides, they know the negative implications. The reason why they are the Snapchat generation is because it disappears. This is a generation that has a public Instagram account and a private Instagram account. This is a generation that likes, you know, instant messaging services such as WhatsApp because they create closed, intimate groups in which they can create those kind of solid, sustained social bonds rather than the sort of fakery and airbrushed life that I was describing on social media. They're almost kind of turning against not completely, but turning against some of the the openness, actually the culture of openness that exists within social media. So the challenge is how do you get to them and how do you make that dialogue authentic? And this is part of the reason I wanted to have you on here because we're a community of innovators and people who are trying to improve health and make a, a difference for hundreds of thousands, millions and billions of people. And really, how do you think about this, this massive group of young people, young adults, and how they're going to be accessing healthcare and, and the health system and, and moving away from sort of the traditional way that we've always thought about healthcare, which is around the treatment of disease and moving more toward the side of the preservation and enhancement of health. And you and I met when we were in Geneva at a conference where I was able to sit through your talk and was really fascinated by a lot of things you talked about. One of the examples that you gave really struck me in terms of how Gen Z individuals are looking for real experiences. And you, you talked about how you'd interviewed someone who had discovered books. Can you tell the listeners about that experience? Uh, yes, this was Zoe from Cornwall in the UK, who, when asked what was her sort of way she likes to spend her spare time, she said, you know, to me, well, I've just discovered books. And I said, well, okay, how do you, how do you experience these books? What's your ritual? And she said, well, it's fabulous. I switch my phone off. I put it in another room so I'm not distracted. I lay on my bed and I just open up this book and it's such a kind of tangible thing. It smells like a book. It is like a book. I have no notifications bothering me while I'm reading and my imagination can just run wild. It's great. I said, well, okay, right. How do you get hold of these books? You know, what do you, what do you do? And she said, well, I used to use, you know, Amazon, order them on Amazon, but they took like 24 hours to arrive. And which I just found highly amusing because right, you know, Amazon Prime is the height of convenience for most people. But for her, it was hugely cumbersome. And she said, well, then I discovered the library. And I said, well, okay, you discovered it. And she said, yeah, you know, you just walk in and they're just, the books are just waiting there, ready for you to take them. And she found this huge, you know, life-changing revelation and one that she, you know, hugely enjoys. And I thought to myself, you know, gosh, we've come full circle where a generation that grew up on digital, grew up on touchscreen, is now discovering off digital experience and face to face communication and digital detoxes. And, you know, they're embracing it actually to a greater level and commitment than older generations. So, you know, they've discovered books 
in a way that millennials discovered vinyl not so long ago. And I mean, I work and have worked in a university for many years. And now I'm working with companies dealing with their recruitment strategies and helping them recruit, you know, the best of school leavers and, and, and university graduates. And what's becoming clear is they prefer face-to-face communication over any other form of interaction. So how do these sorts of experiences like what you just described with Zoe translate to specifically health experiences, but also, you know, just broader business challenges that people are having as they work to engage these people as professionals, but also provide services to these adults? Right. So you've got a scenario that is developing where you've got Generation Z who have grown up with digital and see face-to-face and human interaction as the luxury, as the premium service. And in respect to work interviews or particularly in respect to healthcare, they will, I believe, go in search of and desire that face-to-face communication, that level of intimacy. I mean, the definition of luxury now is something if you like, made in the East as opposed to the West. The definition of luxury to these guys, and indeed will be in the future, will be something delivered by or made by a human being as opposed to a robot or an algorithm. And so I think within healthcare, what you may see with Generation Z is that prizing of that human interaction, that face-to-face communication, that face-to-face diagnosis, and a willingness and an acceptance of technology and that the place for technology. But as I say, that that desire for that human interaction will be absolutely key. And I think the quote by Douglas Adams here helps us understand this. He said when the internet really had started becoming commonplace, he wrote an article saying, basically, guys, do not fear the internet. And he basically contextualized what he's saying by saying that all technological innovation has faced hostility. And that really anything invented between the ages of you being born and the age of 15 to you seems absolutely inherently natural. You know, to Zoe, Amazon Prime, of course. But anything invented between the ages of 16 and 35, he said, Douglas Adams, that you'll probably be able to get a job in it. And indeed, that is the technological innovations that will come to define your generation. And then anything invented after the age which you are 36 to the age in which you die, you will feel is unnatural, somehow um, unnatural in this world. And you probably will have a slightly Luddite approach to it. And so actually, if you think about it, to Zoe or indeed to any member of Generation Z, social media and indeed the smartphone is not technology to them. Just like the kettle is not technology to anyone over the age of 65, right? (laughs) Right. So so even calling it digital health may seem slightly odd to perhaps even Generation Alpha. So I think getting our head around this kind of sense at which it's kind of technology or everything else, I think is a short-sighted way of thinking about it because what they're looking for is, I think, the innovation which will be and the premium which will be face-to-face interaction. And Douglas Adams, just for everyone listening who's thinking, wait a minute, I know that name. He's the English author of The the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So uh, he's got a, a great reputation, a bit of a cult following, and uh, some great perspectives that you just shared there in terms of how we view technology. And that actually was bringing me on to part of the reason I wanted to invite you on here, because we're always talking and many of the people who are listening are using or developing or procuring new solutions to distance and remove the physical interaction 
between uh, users of healthcare and providers of healthcare. We're looking at chatbots. We have AI systems. We have televisits. We have web interfaces and mobile phones that are changing, radically changing the way that we've traditionally accessed healthcare. And really, when you think about what you just described in terms of that pursuit of that that human interaction, I would just wonder how the things that we are building, whether there's a generation of Gen Z and Gen Alpha that might actually work to try to reverse some of those things and try to put the human interaction back into it. Or perhaps will the ideal be achieved where actually these AI systems, these teleconsults and things like that that are going to be possible and may be ubiquitous at some stage will then free up the humans involved in the healthcare system. Can you give any insights on that about how you perceive that? So I think that's absolutely true. As this technology becomes universalized, and actually expected, then the dream, the goal should be, as you rightly say, to free up human time to ensure that actually the humane aspect of healthcare is there. And as someone that has experienced the NHS, <laughs> the National Health Service in England, I can tell you right now that, you know, actually there isn't that time in order to deliver healthcare to the patient and actually exhibit um, patients. But I would add one caveat that this generation, by all statistics, and there's been recently some research done just March this year, actually, on Gen Z by the Pew Research Center about their attitudes towards health and technology. And, you know, all the statistics show that they are, you know, nine out of 10 Gen Zers have gone online to find out information about healthcare, whether it be fitness, nutrition, or mental health. Two out of three Gen Zers use mobile apps to monitor or track um, whether they're sleep or nutrition or calories, you name it. And 61% have learnt, you know, about healthcare or health conditions through podcasts or YouTube, etc. So there is obviously a willingness and an openness, perhaps more than any than any other generation to embrace digital health platforms and services but i think this will be the generation that as i said will be really cautious about sharing and oversharing their data and will want companies to be completely transparent about the use of this data and where it is going on to and i think data in health for this generation will be a really big thing Brilliant. Lots of things to be excited about here and lots of challenges for businesses and innovators as we think about what the future generations will need and indeed how they will be accessing healthcare for their aging parents and grandparents as well. Eliza, how can people connect with you and learn more about your work? Okay, so I have a website that kind of details who I am, what I do, and kind of where I'm going to be. And that's www.elizafilby.com. And I have a book coming out. It's called Our Place in Time, A History of Generations. Not yet available to pre-order on Amazon, but will be very soon. I'll make sure we include a link to that on the show notes when it is available. And obviously, we'll include that in our newsletter to our listeners as well. So I think there's a lot of great understanding that you have about the differences in generations. And I think that we need to take that into account as we're designing health systems and health solutions to address our current and future needs. Eliza, thanks so much for joining me and for being a part of the program. Thank you very much, Dan. That was Dr. Eliza Philby. You can find all the show notes for this episode by visiting digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 78. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe to and rate the podcast. 
I really appreciate your support and participation in this program. Coming up on our next episodes, we dive into advances in robotics, digital therapeutics, tracking our mental health through our mobile phones, 3D printing of human organs, and much, much more. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single one of our guests. Thanks for tuning in, and until next time, keep on innovating.